chapter 2, Genesis, Exodus, Luke. <clears throat> it's in the Bible somewhere. Don't do that to me. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry, Brian. <laughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke. Okay, there you go. <clears throat> when you find your place, would you stand? Good to see some visitors here with us, some returning guests. Glad you came. Luke chapter 2, I'd like to read with you just the first seven verses, of which I know you're very familiar with, but I believe the Lord has something for us out of this today. Let's read together Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, all together. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one in his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The beginning of a very familiar passage of Scripture to everyone here today, the story that I believe everyone here knows so well. Brother Jared, would you ask the Lord's help in the preaching this morning? Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. The wisest man in all the world, next to Jesus Christ, of course, was Solomon. I've often wondered about that. I know it to be true because the Bible says so. But a man that had 700 wives was really the wisest man in all the world. Not the message this morning, but just something that makes you go, really? But Solomon, the wisest man in all the world, said in Ecclesiastes 3, went to everything there is a season. And you and I are knee-deep in a season. Some will echo the carol, tis the season to be jolly. And some will echo, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And some of you more aptly are the Grinch who steals all the joy because of your Bahambeg mentality. However you slice it, however you dice it, that's between you and the Lord. Whichever side of the fence you fall on, we are still encompassed with a season that this world calls Christmas. I'm not looking to dig into the roots and the, the paganism, and I'm not trying to destroy you know, your aunt's fruitcake and Frosty the Snowman. I'm not looking to do that. I'm looking to look at a very familiar passage and maybe give you some practical things. You see, if we can rightly divide the word of truth, that's a real blessing. If we can doctrinally divide the scriptures, then we're on solid ground. But if we can never practically apply them, it's of no use to us. If there's something that you're, if you're not able to take something out the door with you, then I believe 
for the most part, besides the authenticity of the scriptures, it's all but in vain. We ought to have a religion, if I could say it like that. We ought to have a Christianity that we can walk on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and get recharged from the scriptures as soon as possible. The question that I see this morning is many years ago, I believe someone coined this phrase. It's colloquial. It's overused. It's kind of an idiomatic expression. Here's someone, they must have got fed up with materialism. They must have got fed up with paganism. And they must have got fed up with shopping ads because all of a sudden this term appeared, Jesus is the reason for the season. I'd like to push back not on your traditions, not on your family gatherings, but I'd like to push back and offer the question, is he really the reason for the season? Is Jesus Christ really the reason? Or is he something that Christians, without thinking, use to broad brush and allow themselves to be who they want to be, enjoy the actions that they always do, and in reality, he is not really the reason? for this season that we're in. Whether you partake of it or not, it's not the message. I'm not here to get on you if you don't observe Christmas. I'm not here to chastise you if you don't. I want to ask the question. Look, you and I are all raised in America. And you all know the, see, the, the phrase, Jesus is the reason for the season. So I'll ask you this morning, church, is he really the reason? I believe we see this some points, some things that we and I can take heed to and relate to right in this very familiar passage of Scripture. You say, what in the fire can we pull out of Luke chapter 2? Can I say, first of all, while you're considering that question, this message is more of a thought with some subpoints. Some messages are carefully laid out, so forth, like pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. But here's the message. Is he really the reason? There, spoiler alert. Ultra call, saying just as I am and go home. But there's a number of thoughts in here, I believe, that augment the Scriptures because they are the Scriptures themselves. First of all, I want you to see with me in verse number 1. Can I just remind you, I don't have to remind you, but I'm going to do it anyways, that Christmas, this time, is a time of taxing. It's a time of taxing. By the way, all the new Bibles has taken out that word taxing. And they've made it to, say census or whatever it is, but they've taken out the word taxing. And the new Bibles do that, and I believe the reason they do that is because when it's all said and done and the Antichrist gets set up, you're going to find the new purpose of the Internal Revenue Service for the entire world, and the entire world is going to be taxed under the Antichrist. So what a better place to take it out than at the birth of Jesus Christ. Scriptures have many applications. That's one of them. Christmas is a time of taxing. Look, is it not taxing on your finances? Have you not said this? Can we just cancel Christmas this year? You didn't if you were a kid. You're hoping mom and dad got a raise or hit the jackpot or whatever. But it's taxing on your finances, isn't it? Unless you're just inherently wealthy, then you need to come and have dinner with a preacher. Amen? <laughs> it's taxing on your finances. It's taxing on your family, isn't it? You struggle to 
go here, and especially if you're married, you're spending Christmas with her family, and then a, a Christmas with her family, and you eat like 25 meals a day, and you start this sugar habit that goes right into January, and it never stops, and next thing you know, as soon as January 1st is over, all of a sudden it's Valentine's Day, and then it's St. Patrick's Day, it's just whatever, it just never ends. And the pounds come, and they don't seem to go as easy as they used to when you were younger. But it's taxing on your finances, it's taxing on your family, it's even taxing on your future. You say, what does that mean? There's just not enough time. This time of year, this season, to everything there is a season. I'm trying to get you to think because whether or not you're all for it, or all not for it, you're in it. And if this country, which I know is generally a mess, our families generally are a mess, we say Jesus is the reason for the season. My question is, is he really the reason? Even though Christmas time is a time of taxing. I see a couple other things this morning. Christmas is not only a time of taxing, but it's a time of drawing together. It's a time of drawing together. Look at verse 3. Bible says here in Luke chapter 2, verse 3, and all went to be taxed every one into his own city. This, of course, the taxing under Cyrenius, the governor of Syria, and brought everyone together. Nothing like being brought together like paying bills, amen? But I'm just here to say this morning, this season that you and I are in, like it, lump it, take it to the river and dump it, I don't care. It's a time that draws families together. It's a time of drawing together. It brings marriages together. I know it blows some apart, I get it. There's the exception to the rule. Some of you all can't stand to be next to each other for more than two days and you all start fighting again. That's how it goes. Now, some of you re don't realize how important your jobs are in your marriage. Supposing for your jobs, you all kill each other. Okay, the rest of you are liars. Amen. People who laugh know what I'm talking about. But it uh, brings families together. It brings husbands and wives together. If you have little ones, it brings the whole family together because it's making memories, isn't it? A lot of your most precious memories could be hinged upon this time of year. You think about the time if you're a child and you got the present that you wanted to get. Or, transversely, the present you didn't get. Because you didn't get anything for Christmas. Because <laughs> you were a brat. <laughs> but it brings people together, it brings families, it brings moms and dads together with children. It brings families all together, as the scriptures say, in one city and many times in one house. You ever stop and think that the fire marshal would not approve of most of your gatherings? You pack that many people in your house, and it gets about 85 degrees in there, doesn't it? 90 degrees, and you're opening the door, and it's so hot, and, and there's always stuff to eat, and there's always food here and there, and, and there's always something to complain about, too. But it's taxing, and it draws families together, and you create these memories that never seem to go away. Something to always talk about. I was thinking about this, and it gets everyone together. Should not this season be a time when we can draw closer together to Jesus Christ? I mean, remember the, the thesis of our sermon this morning is, is He really the reason? We say He's the reason for the season, and if that's the case and it draws people together, should it not be a time where we could draw closer to Jesus Christ? 
Look at James chapter 4 with me just for a second. I want to give you some thoughts here because I think it's paramount to what you and I are about to go through this week. We say that He is the reason for the season and many times we abandon everything to do with the Lord during this time of year and that's what I'm trying to caution you against. I'm trying to caution you against because when family comes, what happens is many times we let our standards, personal relationship with the Lord down, we let the things slip, and we take on a neutral position in Jesus Christ. There is no neutrality with Jesus Christ. You're either for Him or you're against Him. And I don't care whether you call it Easter or Christmas or or whatever in the world you call it, you have to be on guard. And I'm saying if he's the reason for this season, maybe he's not. But if he is to you, then shouldn't we be able to draw closer to him? If we're going to trumpet that it's all about Jesus, it's all about Jesus Christ being born, and thank God he was. But then should that not bolster the strength that we have within us to draw closer to him? Look at James chapter 4 verse 8. Notice what the scriptures say. It says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. So what are you saying, preacher? Well, you know what the Lord wants from you? Not only this season, but every season. He wants you to put forth the effort to draw close to him first. It seems like many times we're just waiting for the Lord to shimmy up next to us. Well, how can I draw closer to Jesus Christ this season? You're in the book of James there. Look at chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. First thing, can I say this? If you want to draw close to Jesus Christ, you need to start praying that way. What's it say in verses 1 to 3? You have not because you ask not. You need to pray for grace. You see, the reason that you're not closer to Jesus Christ is because God has to give you that grace that enables you to draw closer to Him. You are not naturally prone to draw close to the Lord. You don't wake up and go, Lord, you and I, we're just so close and warm and cuddly and fuzzy. That's not you. That's not me. You have to pray, God, allow me to draw close to you. He says, you have not because you asked. I'm saying this morning, the first thing you have to do is you have to learn to pray for grace. Look at verse 4. The second thing, if I'm going to draw close to the Lord, not only do I need to pray that God gives me the grace to do it, but number two, I have to learn to drop my friendship with this world. Because if I'm at friends with this world, that makes me an enemy with God. Pray for the grace, number one. Drop my friendship with the world. Number two, look at number three. I need in verse six, I have to get humble. One of the hardest things in the Christian life is just simply to get over myself. Young people, you need to learn to get humble. Middle-aged people, you need to learn to get humble. Old people, (laughs) you need to learn to get humble. Amen. It goes all seasons of life. If I want to draw close to Jesus Christ, I pray for grace. I drop my friendship with the world. I get humble. Look at verse 7. The next thing on the list there is I submit to God. I submit myself to God. Let me ask you this question at this time of the year. Are you submitted to God? Say, What do you mean? Is He in control? 
We've said it before, I'll say it again. God will never use a man that he cannot control. God will never use a woman that he cannot control. Why God won't use some of you is because you won't be controlled by God. You're controlled by your flesh. You're controlled by your impulses. You're controlled by what you put into your eyes and what you put into your ears. But God wants to be in control. And Brother James says, submit yourselves to God. He wants to be in control, but yet he won't make you be under his control. God's not a Calvinist. Aren't you glad for that? He has given you a free will, not only at salvation, but also in the daily relation with him. God wants to be in control. Will you submit to him? Number five, after you submit to God, then you can resist the devil. That's temptation. James chapter 4 verse 7. You submit yourself to God, and then you resist the devil. Preacher, I tell you what, I'm having such a hard time with this besetting sin of mine. You want to know why? He's not in control. You have not submitted yourself to God. You're trying to beat the flesh in the flesh. It fails every time. The only thing that you're able to do some weeks is you're able because God does not allow you to be tempted. You sin less some weeks than other weeks. But you can never conquer the flesh in the flesh. You have to submit yourself to God. Then the Holy Spirit allows you to overcome temptation. The Holy Spirit will give you victory over besetting sins. Everyone has them. You submit yourself to God. You resist the devil. Now here's number six. You make the first move. God enables you in James chapter 4 verse 8 to draw nigh to God. Now look what happens. You make the first move, then what happens next? He draws nigh to you. Isn't that a blessing? You make the first move. I want to get closer to Jesus Christ. I don't care if Grandma Maud's going to be here. I don't care if Uncle Fred's going to be here. And I don't care if he's an idiot and he don't know how to talk and he's always got the wrong jokes and, and they're always... I'm telling you what, I want to get closer to Jesus Christ this year. That's the first thing. You've got to draw an eye to him first. And then he turns around and he draws an eye to you. You get close first. He sees that and he gets closer to you yet. Notice what's on the back side of the thing. You draw an eye to God first. He draws an eye to you. Then what happens next? In verse 8, he enables you to clean up. Notice you don't clean up to a certain point and then you draw close to the Lord. You see what I mean? A lot of Christians got it backwards. Look, if you're doing something wrong, if you're sinning, quit it. And if you can't, do what Sam Jones said. If you can't, quit it, kick yourself. Amen. That's good. But notice, you'll never be able to clean yourself up enough. You start drawing close to God, right? He must increase, but I must decrease. You further your relationship to God first, then He allows you to decrease. Then He allows you, He enables you, He empowers you to then clean up. Is He really the reason? Or is it something we're just broad brushing? To do what we want to do, huh? He's the reason for the season. Deck the halls and fa la la. Well, you submit yourself to God. You resist the devil. You draw nigh to God. Then he draws nigh to you. He enables you to clean up. And finally, look. After you clean up, what happens in verse 9? We've been preaching about it in Thessalonians. After you clean up, then comes the affliction. You see it? 
You say, what is that? You ever notice that? You try to do right, try to clean up, and you get kicked square in the teeth. Somebody say amen. Unless you all just a bunch of wicked, rotten sinners that never cleaned up. You clean up, you start doing right, you get kicked right in the teeth, you get stuck in the neck, don't you? You know what that is? That's the Lord proving you. That's affliction. God uses affliction to prove His children. Of course, further on through the passage, what happens after the affliction? Well, you got to get humble again because when you get kicked in the teeth, you have a tendency to flare up, don't you? Why? Because you don't think it's fair. And once you humble yourself again, God then lifts you up. He exalts you in due time. But do you really want to draw close to Jesus Christ this season? Is he really the season? Well, it's a time of taxing, a time of drawing together. I see here in verse 4 to 5, it's a time of obedience. Take a look at Joseph there in verse 5. It says, to be taxed with Mary. What in the world is Joseph doing being taxed with his espoused wife? That to me, that's almost like taking on a contract for you contractors. And you got contracts lined up for next year, and you saying, I want to pay taxes on that this year, too. But you ain't got the money for it. See, to me, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But he's an honest man. He's an obedient man. He's including Mary, his espouse wife, who's great with child. He's including her in the taxing. We're doing all right this morning. Not trying to step on any of your toes. The Holy Spirit has a much bigger foot than I do. So he's an obedient man. Over in Matthew chapter 2, another great passage about the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. You find in verse 18, he's a clean man. He's a just man. He's a private man. Not many private men anymore with the uh, invocation of social media. Everyone's junk is out there for everyone to see now. I don't want you to see none of my junk. I don't want you to see none of my dirty laundry. One preacher said, uh, asked another preacher, an old preacher, says, Preacher, what do you do with all your time? He's like, all my time. He says, I spend all my time running from all my enemies. <laughs> I don't want you to know anything about me. You know what I'm saying. I don't want you to know uh, who I'm upset with. I don't want you to know what I'm struggling with. I don't want you to know what's tripping my trigger. But yet now we live in a society where men, grown men who should know better, who are more feminine than masculine, got to plaster all that junk out for everyone to see. Like, oh, I'm famous because I can't control my temper. I'm famous because I'm an ignorant mind trying to express myself intelligently and I can cuss because I'm a Christian and I'm a free bird. You're an idiot. I'm talking about Joseph. He's an obedient man. And is he really the reason for the season? If he is, then you'll work to be obedient. I suppose if he's an obedient man, he's, he's obedient to the government. Can you imagine how many Bible-believing Christians would not be included in this passage? I can just see the first Bible-believing church of Jerusalem. I ain't going to pay taxes. Taxation without representation, I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to tell them a penny that I made. Joseph wasn't that way. Joseph was an obedient man. He was obedient to the government. In Matthew chapter 2, he was obedient to the Lord. Makes me understand why he was obedient to the government. You ever stop and consider that this season, if he really is the reason for this season, 
Could you and I be obedient to Jesus Christ? How about it, children? Ephesians 6.1, can you be obedient to your parents? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is a good idea. For this is right, the Bible says. It's a good idea, too. My dad used to say, if you want to live long upon the earth like it says, you're going to be obedient. I said, yes, sir. Children, can you obey your parents? Wives, are you willing to obey your husbands? I ain't going to obey him. He's a buzzard. You married him. That must mean you're dead meat. Titus chapter 2, verse 5, Paul, he exhorts the women to be obedient to their own husbands. Are we so far gone in our Christian life where even though the world scoffs at it, we then scoff at it too? Children, can you obey your parents? Wives, are you willing to obey your husbands? Husbands, in 1 Corinthians eleven three, are you willing to obey the Lord? Well, I would, but my wife, she don't, she don't listen to me. Listen to some of y'all, I wouldn't listen to you either. Amen? You want to know why your wife doesn't listen to you sometimes? Because you don't listen to anybody. Maybe if she saw that you were able to be governed by something bigger than yourself, then she would say, hey, there's a man that I can follow. But so many men, they're so caught up with themselves and they're the end of all things and they're the only authority that matters. And I tell you what, that little gal of yours, she's already insecure to begin with and she's looking for someone who's willing to submit themselves to God and you ain't it. Are you willing to obey the Lord, men? Children, wives, husbands, how about churches? Will you be willing to obey the preaching during the season? Hebrews 13, 17, the Bible says, Obey them that have the rule over you. And in Galatians 3, 1, Christian, are you willing just to obey the truth? You know why we quit reading the Bible, don't you? Because the Lord gives you truth, He gives you light, and you stop obeying it. And so then the desire to read stops because you stopped obeying the light. You stopped obeying the truth. Paul says to the Galatians, Who hath hindered you that you should not obey the truth? Christians, are you willing to obey the truth? I'm talking about Jesus is the reason for the season. Is he really? Well, if it is, and we understand it's a time to draw closer. It's a time of obedience. Can I give you another one here? In verse 6, it's a time of delivery. Time of delivery. Look at verse 6. Bible says, Luke chapter 2, verse 6. Maybe. And so it was that while, while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. That's what I'm looking at. It's a time of delivery. Mary delivered Jesus Christ. Verse 5 says she was great with child. One preacher said she probably looked like a, 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 you know, a garden hose that swallowed a golf ball. Can you imagine riding on that mule or donkey or whatever in the fire she was riding all the way across that terrain? You know, just as big as a... Carrying that baby, great with child. I think it explains it pretty well. She had something to deliver. Jesus Christ, uh, the Lord chose Mary to deliver the greatest thing to this world. You're starting to think about that. The Lord chose Mary. Wow. 
And the moment you became a child of God, the Lord chose you to deliver Jesus Christ to this world. Mary physically delivered Jesus Christ. You have the opportunity to verbally deliver it. Do you ever stop and think that if he really is the reason for the season, that maybe you should be cumbered about with delivering Jesus Christ to this world? Mary delivered. Can you deliver? How will you deliver Jesus Christ? I'm not a preacher. Well, thank God. It ain't all it's cracked up to be. Amen? God calls you to be a preacher. Just be, be a preacher. But can you deliver a track? We've got Christmas tracks. You already know that it's the most wonderful time of the year. I mean, you could give people, you know, treats out of the litter box and they take it if you had a bow on it. Can you deliver a track? See, some of you are upset at that stuff because you're... You take life so serious. Can you deliver it like a track? How will you deliver Jesus Christ? How about a personal testimony? You're going to be around family. I, see, I understand. You don't want to be that guy that disturbs what? The reason for the season? You're going to tell me that all your family is going to get in your house and they're going to get upset at you for talking about Jesus Christ when no one will deny that Jesus is the reason for the season? I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit has given you a blank checkbook this season. I'm trying to stir up your pure minds. No one's going to balk at it, and if they do, well, then I guess Jesus ain't the reason for their season. Can you deliver the track? Can you deliver a personal testimony? Can you deliver some preaching? I know some, some people who said, Preacher, I'll send them a link to Sermon Auto. I said, God help you. <laughs> Can you deliver a link? We're so techy, right? I can't do it. I can't pass out drag. Can you send a link? Can you send a message? Can you write a letter? What is that? Paper. Pen. <laughs> Cramping fingers. But they shouldn't cramp because y'all got the strongest thumbs in northern Michigan. You hold that thing with your thumb, you'll be all right. I'm just saying it's a time of delivery. The Lord has given every child of God something to deliver. Are you still great with child today? Aren't you tired of the labor pains? Can't you feel the Lord kicking around in there? We doing all right? Can't you feel the labor pains? You know what, you know what the Lord's saying? Get me out of here! It's time. For delivery. And you know, many times when you have that delivery, there's a birth. I'm talking about the new birth. I got sent the other day, I had to get my fingerprints taken. I had to drive all the way to Lake City, good night. I think an hour and a half, and then I left my wallet where I was at half. I had to turn around halfway, so it's just quite a trip, you know. And I'm in the big old, big old, no, I was in the Yukon. Anyways, that thing's like eight miles to the gallon. Anyways, past everything but a gas station. So I'm getting irritated because I'm fixating on gas. You ever do that? Just fixate on how fast that stupid thing is going. You don't step on the gas because it goes out the tailpipe. No, okay, just me. So I, so I get this text. I, I'm going to tell myself, you pray for me, amen? So it's this fellow I worked with 11 years ago. He's got Bible questions. So I'm texting safely via Siri. Hey, Siri. Uh, cop, you know, right? Say, what happens over the next hour and a half 
and lead this man to Christ over the phone. I'm not, I, I'm like, I was getting so excited, I shake and I'm like, this guy's going to get saved. He's going to get saved. He's going to get saved through text. And he trusted Christ as a Savior through text. You say what? <laughs> man, labor pains were on me. I had to deliver it. He's supposed to come to church and pray for him. I'm just saying, if he is the reason for the season, you got something to deliver? Or are you going to sit through this season in labor, all constipated with yourself, no movement of the Holy Ghost, and be just flat out miserable because God wants you to say something about his son and you won't do it? I'm trying to help you today saying it's a time of taxing. Yes, I know it's tiring. And yes, it's a time of drawing close. We should draw closer to Jesus Christ. But it's also a time of delivery. You and I have something to deliver to this world. And whether or not you like the Christmas season or not, and I know it's got all the pagan roots. Yeah, everything's got pagan roots, man. Everything does. Your shoes, this tie. Being in a building, oh, I can't believe you got a church. Were you going to meet out in the front yard with the snow? I'm saying you and I got something to deliver instead of getting fixated and caught up everything in this world. I got one more for you and we'll be done. It's a time of delivery. Will you deliver Jesus Christ? Or, as many Christians do, you can leave him in the manger. A lot of Christians just leave him in the manger. Oh, he's so pretty. Pretty little baby Jesus, you know. They want him delivered, but leave him in the manger. We'll get him back out Easter time with the bunny and all the Reese's. Let me give you number five. It's a time of taxing, a time of drawing together, a time of obedience, a time of delivery. And finally, as you know, verse 7, it's a time to make room for Jesus Christ. Verse 7 says, because there was no room for them in the inn. You've heard it before. I'm not the first, nor will I be the last. Still today, there's no room for Jesus Christ. If he really is the reason for the season, would you consider making room for Jesus Christ this week? In seven days, if you're able, we'll be back together just for the morning service, just an 11 o'clock service. And I pray the Lord will meet with us. And we'll tell the story about his birth and how he came to die for you and me. And maybe you can create some memories around the old church house. And I don't know, maybe in 20 years the place won't be here. I have no idea. Maybe in 20 years we can't meet. Maybe in 20 years we'll be marrying, you know, deer and bears and cats and dogs. I have no idea. What I'm saying is, will you make room for Jesus Christ? You say, what, what do you mean make room? I mean, there's. can you make room for reading your Bible? Stay with me for a second. Doesn't Bible reading traditionally, for the most part, if you're the exception of the rule, don't break your arm, pat yourself on your back. Doesn't Bible reading lessen during this season that he's the reason for? Can you make room to read a little bit more Bible? Can you make room to maybe look at that Bible and maybe study a little bit? If he is really the reason for the season, shouldn't we make more time for him? Shouldn't we maybe read a little bit more Bible? Shouldn't we study the Bible a little bit more? If he's really the season, can we make room to make a little bit more time for prayer? Not instead of good bread, good meat, good God, let's eat. 
Now you got the whole family together. Let's take a minute and pray. And pray for all those of your family who are sick. And pray for their spiritual health. Say, oh, all what? He's the reason for the season. Can we make more time for prayer? You worry about what they're going to think about you, aren't they? I'm sure glad Jesus wasn't worried when he was on that cross for me. I'm sure glad that when he went to that cross, the Bible says he considered it joy to suffer for me. Can you make room for Bible reading, Bible study, prayer? Can you make room for preaching? One of the ways that God reveals himself to you and I is through preaching. Can you bring some family to church? Can you get a little bit closer to Jesus Christ? Can you just make more room for Him? I say that because as I look at my own life, and over the last 47 years, it seems like whenever we go into a holiday season like Christmas, everyone says that Jesus is the reason for the season, but we do so little with Him. Will you make room for Jesus Christ? In these next seven days, make room for increased time in prayer. Can you make room for fellowship each and every day with Jesus Christ? You know the story, uh, Mary and Joseph, when Jesus Christ was about 12 years old, went and took him to the temple in Jerusalem, and they lost track of Jesus for one day. For one day. And it took three days to get him back. Isn't that like the Christmas season? We just lose track of them for one day. One day becomes three, becomes 30, becomes two months. And next thing you know, man, we're in the stinking cave of Adullam. We're all depressed, discouraged, and disgusted. I don't know where things got off track, preacher. My life's just a mess. You lost him for one day. You just never got him back. Not talking about your salvation. You can't lose your salvation just talking about the sweet fellowship that you can have with Jesus Christ every single day. Are you willing to make room for Jesus Christ this season? How about this week? Well, as we close this morning, some will tell you it's the most wonderful time of the year. Some will tell you it's the season to be jolly. And many Christians will proclaim that Jesus truly is the reason for the season. I don't fault them for saying that. It just feels good to say it, doesn't it? Just like, it's just like apple pie and hot dogs. But the older I get, the less I like hot dogs. Still like apple pie. I want you to consider here this morning as Miss Elizabeth comes to the piano here, will you make room for Jesus Christ this week? And will you be willing to start today? If the Lord's spoken to you, why don't you come this morning to this old-fashioned altar and speak to Him. I'd like to read you a verse while she begins to play Revelation chapter 3 verse 20. It's often read and often preached towards salvation. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. You know what that is? That's the Lord. He's on the outside door of the church and he just wants to have fellowship with his sons and daughters. And he's out there like a perfect gentleman. He's saying, Can I come in? And the church has got him locked out. Why don't you make room for Jesus Christ today? Come draw close to him just for a few moments. If the Lord speak into your heart today.